0: You know, sometimes the most astonishing stories are the ones that are right there hiding in plain sight. Now, this story begins with a phone call from out of the blue. Hello? Is this R. Lee Proctor? That's right, and and who's this?
1: Hi, my name is Hazel Matthews I've got a story for you. Oh, okay. Um, uh, it's a, it's about the most fascinating woman of the 20th century. <laughs> well, good. That got my attention. So, and, uh, okay. uh, Who might this okay. be? Okay, so her lovers included some of the most infamous and famous men of the 20th century. Uh, she was at the center of three of the most sensational courtroom trials of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Oh, oh, she saved the world from nuclear annihilation during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And her name was Minx Devlin.
0: Minx Devlin. Now, how come I've never heard of her?
1: Because the JFK and Howard Hughes estates have done everything possible to bury her story. And because she was blacklisted. And also because she was a righteous babe who lived out loud, which intimidated men who write film history. If you want a second opinion, you can call Skylar DeWolf at the UNLV Film Department.
2: Hello?
0: Skylar DeWolf. You're speaking to him. This is uh, Arlie Proctor. I'm a reporter and cultural historian. Uh, Minx Devlin, what do you know about her? (laughs) How much time have you
3: got? (laughs) Well, somebody's trying to sell me on telling her story. What do you think? (sighs) What do I think about Minx Devlin? If you want to discover what I would call the secret soul of America, I would say study Minx Devlin's exploitation pictures. And let me just add one more thing. What's that? Her story is a barn burner. We're talking a real epic adventure. There is nothing like it.
0: This is The Atomic Bombshell, The Minx Devlin Chronicles. A ten-part exploration of the astonishing life and tumultuous times of film noir goddess and 50s exploitation queen, Clara
4: Minx Devlin. The woman who incinerates the screen with her evil desires. Trouble never came in a more seductive package.
0: You know, it's funny. You're a tramp, a flatter, a cheap worthless strumpet, and yet I'm still
4: madly in love with you.
5: A Renoir portrait, as written by Balzac,
4: but with the draw irony of Voltaire. She is, in my considered opinion, the most dangerous woman alive.
0: I'm your host, Arlie Proctor. I'm here with Hazel Matthews. Hello. And Skyler DeWolf. Hey, everybody. So, Hazel, let's begin with some background. You're the daughter of Peggy Kingsbury, the media-friendly, ultra-ultra-conservative congresswoman from Wisconsin. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, You actually left out one ultra. (laughs) My uh, stepfather is Dr. Luke Matthews. He runs an evangelical megachurch in Brookfield, Wisconsin. He's got four ultras.
0: (laughs) I see. Now, do your parents uh, know you're here doing this? Uh,
1: (laughs) Yes, unfortunately, they do. Why then? Why... Minx Devlin, yes. Um, if you study Minx Devlin's life as, as I have, as Skylar has, you you know the power of fate and destiny. And in the spring of 2012, my destiny called me. I was actually all set to graduate from Hattiesburg Bible College in Mississippi and marry my fiancé, Dwayne Funk.
0: Now, that would be the son of Luther Funk, one of the Funk brothers, the billionaire petrochemical barons and conservative political donors?
1: Yes. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. I, I was about to marry into Billions and then become a good Christian wife and mother. And I can't imagine an easier life. My future was all set. Well, it
0: sounds good to me. <laughs> but I, I notice you're not married to Dwayne Funk. Uh,
1: no, I'm not. I am a grad student at the UNLV film program, I support myself as a dancer at Seductions, which is a gentleman's club just off the strip in Vegas. I have a domestic partner named Denise. Uh, No last names, please. She is a casino floor supervisor at the Bellagio.
0: Wow, so so tell me all about this call of destiny.
1: (laughs) Well, two weeks before I was to graduate with my sad little degree in marketing, I get a call from Skylar DeWolf. He says... What do you know about your grandmother? Your mother's mother? I knew exactly one thing about her. I knew that she got knocked up as a teenager and died giving birth to my mother, and that was it. He tells me that's a lie. It turns out he's there in Hattiesburg, and he wants to meet me at the local Starbucks. He (laughs) buys me a vanilla latte, and he tells me this wild tale about my grandmother being a notorious movie goddess.
3: I sure did. That was the best vanilla latte that I think I ever bought. (laughs) Because it was on that day that I enlisted Hazel into what I call my dangerous films club. And, of course, I was thrilled to be able to share them with Hazel.
1: Yeah, I I was shocked. The whole thing was just so crazy, but he had the proof. He lent me this gray market DVD of Thrill Queen, and he asks me to call him after I watch it. And I don't remember what... I expected, but the moment that Minx Devlin sashays on screen, everything changes for me. It was like being tased, but in a good way. (laughs) This woman was everything I wasn't. She was sexy. She was funny. She was emotional. She was unafraid, and she was alive. I was hooked.
3: And I wasn't surprised. Um, Hazel, do you remember the first words you said when you called me back?
1: Got any more of this?
3: (laughs) And of course I did. So I gave her DVDs of Jive Crazy and The Atomic Bombshell.
1: I finished the second one at 3 a.m. and I couldn't go to sleep, so I called him back.
3: I I usually can't go to sleep after I watch a Minx Devlin movie. (laughs) I have been a fan for 20 plus years. And uh, like I said, I was thrilled when I acquired some of her journals and scrapbooks. I told Hazel I was working on the first comprehensive monograph of Minx Devlin movies and I invited her to come to Las Vegas so she could finally get to know her grandmother.
1: Suddenly it was like I had a choice. Um, You know like in The Matrix. I could take the blue pill and I could marry this very nice, utterly conventional guy that I'd known since grammar school and enjoy a lovely, friction-free slide into oblivion. (laughs) But now there was this red pill. The one that opened a door marked danger in a, a boarded-up building in the Forbidden City of Dreams.
0: So you took the
1: red pill? Oh, I did indeed. I drove my Toyota Corolla to Vegas, and I spent the week that I should have been graduating from college going through Skylar's Minx Devlin archive. Then I called my mother and screamed at her. I mean, how, how could she keep this from me?
0: <laughs> well, well, what did she say?
1: Oh, she tried to change the subject. You know, what was I doing in Vegas? Why hadn't I graduated? Who told me this? And what difference did it make? Why hadn't I called Dwayne to rent the church? And she told me, well, no, actually, she ordered me to come home and forget all about me, Devlin.
0: And, and then you said...
1: Go to hell, Mom! <laughs> I was mad. I, I really let loose. And inside my rage, I felt this wonderful sense of... I don't know, liberation. I I didn't know where exactly this was going to take me, but for the first time, I felt like I owned something. This was my adventure. This was my destiny. So I called Dwayne. I broke up with him. I got an apartment here in Vegas. I taught myself pole dancing to support myself, and I began taking classes at UNLV. Wow,
0: And, and then eventually you called me.
1: I want the world to know about my grandmother.
0: And because of you, here we are. Yep. So for the next nine and a half episodes, Hazel, Skylar, and I will share what we've discovered. And the question is always, why should you care, listener? I think it's because every great mystery story begins with a sentence, the truth is hiding. And this story will reveal the truth that will change everything.
3: I think that it's the story of America in the 1950s as some kind of bland Aussie and Harriet dream of smug conformity, and that dream gets vaporized by Minx Devlin's adventures because her life reveals what was bubbling under the 1950s, the, the Red Scare, um, paranoia about the atomic bomb, Jim Crow racism, the primal shriek of rock and roll, the Liberated women longing for freedom to find their own destiny. Mm -hmm. So really, Minx Devlin's story is our story writ large. It's the saga of a woman who searches for love, who battles fate, and who suffers horrific misfortune as she fights to find happiness.
0: Okay, that's a story that's worth telling. So, now we've decided to begin our tale at the end with her controversial death.
1: I've got a news item here. Las Vegas Sun, January 2nd, 1969. Most Dangerous Woman Alive Dies in Fiery Car Crash, Red Acid Queen, Late Night Movie Hostess, Burned Alive. Clara Mink Devlin, known to Las Vegas night owls as the Baroness Von Freitenstein on Channel 8 and earlier dubbed The Most Dangerous Woman Alive by J. Edgar Hoover, was killed in a one-car accident early yesterday morning. According to police sources, her passion pink 1959 Cadillac convertible veered off State Highway 165, flipped, and exploded in flames, incinerating both the vehicle and its occupant. Police believe that the car was going over 100 miles an hour at the time of the accident.
0: I don't believe a single goddamn word of that old including
4: the words and and the. Total put-up job.
1: Rodney Burdett
0: is a retired Las Vegas police detective turned blogger and amateur cold case investigator. He's currently working on a book with a controversial premise.
4: I believe and I think I'll soon be able to prove that Clara Devlin was murdered by a bomb placed in her car. Well, who would want to kill her? (laughs) You
0: mean beside everybody? Of course, we we now know her conviction as the uh, red acid queen was a straight frame-up. We know that J. Edgar Hoover had been obsessed with ruining her life for, what, 25 years? We know the same right-wing loonies who murdered King and Bobby Kennedy hated her guts. The question you ought to be asking is,
4: who is on the suspect? Who didn't wanna murder Minx Devlin? My name is
2: Peggy Kingsbury. I, I recently retired as the Republican Congresswoman for the 6th District in Wisconsin, northwest of Milwaukee.
0: Are you the daughter of Ming Stevelin? Yes. Was your mother murdered?
2: Oh, that's nonsense. My mother committed suicide. Why do you think that? Because my mother was the most hated woman in America, and she knew it. A jury of her peers had just convicted her of trying to poison the entire Western United States with a powerful hallucinogenic drug, and that decision had been upheld by an appeals court. She knew full well she was going to spend the rest of her life in federal prison.
0: But still, uh, suicide, I mean... She had some powerful friends. She, she didn't leave it know. i note. believe
2: what my beloved grandmother Maggie also believed. That every illegal, immoral, and dangerous act my mother had ever performed finally came crashing down on her. Rather than face the consequences of what she'd done, she chose the coward's way out. Self-murder.
0: Your daughter Hazel doesn't agree with
2: you. She has chosen her own path. May God have mercy on her soul. Why she's done this, I haven't a clue. But it breaks my heart. All I can do now is pray
0: for her. So, Hazel, do you agree with your mother? Did Minx Devlin commit suicide?
1: Oh, my God. No, are you kidding? My grandmother was the greatest survivor in movie history.
0: But, well, I mean, she was about to go to federal prison
3: for life. I wonder about that. Well, she was convicted. I mean, her appeal her appeal had been turned down. Yes, but she had gotten herself out of far worse scrapes than this one.
0: Okay. So... If she wasn't murdered and she didn't commit suicide, so what happened to her?
1: I I think the answer lies with Howard Hughes. Something happened at the party he threw in her honor that fateful New Year's Eve. Howard Hughes? Yes. For 21 years, Howard Hughes will be right at the center of Ming Stevlin's life. He was obsessed with her. He proposed marriage twice, but he never really stopped trying to win her.
0: Okay, good. So, let's take a step back. What was Minx Devlin even doing in Nevada? Why was she called the Red Acid Queen? I mean, why was she so hated by so many
3: people? Well, you have to remember, it's the mid-1960s, and Minx Devlin is 37 years old. And back then, all of her contemporaries, are they're retired, they're taking bit parts on television. There's this whole new generation of actresses, uh, people like Faye Dunaway or Jane Fonda and Natalie Wood. They're getting the parts that she used to get. And Minx's one job offer comes from this guy named Herbert W. Zussman. And this job offer was not for a film.
0: Uh-huh. Herbert W. Zussman, we should mention, is a major player in Minx's life and shows up again and again and again. Now, mm-hmm. This is uh, somebody who's a, a, a you're, you're going to find out about a lot about him.
3: Oh my, you could, you could people have written whole books on Herbert Zussman and I don't think they even get close to the center of, of his rotten apple. He was a legend in the exploitation film business for four decades. Uh, the legend is that he could make a movie for the cost of a long distance phone call to New York and have it in theaters before the three minutes were up, as they <laughs> used to say. Well, what was his offer? Okay, get ready for this. Zuzman had purchased the Pearl O'Dice Motor Hotel in Winnemucca, Nevada, and he offered Minx Devlin a job headlining a Vegas style musical review while he worked on what he called, in quotes, the plan. Well, what was the plan? Well, it was simple. Well, not really that simple. It was to buy <laughs> 20,000 acres of Nevada desert and then operate what he was calling Naked World. What is Naked World, you ask? Well, it was a super deluxe, quote, bear as you dare, nude ranch, end quote. So yeah, think of it as an issue of Playboy magazine come to life with unlimited sex, alcohol, and gambling. Wow. Naked world. Mm -hmm. I am not making this
0: up. This sounds uh, ambitious.
3: (laughs) Oh, ambitious isn't the word. And Minx knew who was bankrolling the plan. Uh, It's coming from her old pal, Howard Hughes, because he's buying up every available casino in Las Vegas, and all of this is just a prelude to moving his whole operation to Nevada. Now, Minx has been fighting Hughes off ever since uh, 1947, and that's when he put her under contract to make movies. Now she's starting to feel trapped. If she doesn't do anything, Hughes will finally have her. But fate intervenes. And her salvation, or at least what she thinks is her salvation, arrives when she attends a speech by Latham Book Salisbury, who is another very pivotal player in this melodrama. Okay, we're gonna take a very
0: brief break right now. Now normally, in a normal program, this is where the commercials would go. But, well, here there aren't any because this podcast is 100% supported by listeners like you. If you're enjoying The Atomic Bombshell, if you like what you hear, please go to richlyspun.com and kick us a few bucks. We've got a lot more stories to tell, and that would really help us tell. them. Now back to this episode of The Atomic Bombshell. Enter Latham Book Salisbury, America's so-called groovy guru, He's a controversial media darling whose life changed one night when he stumbled into a secret CIA mind experiment. A prostitute slipped him an LSD mickey. Here's what happened next. This is him uh, according to his memoirs. I'm going to be reading his his memoirs. Imagine my surprise when the flesh covering this woman's face suddenly burns off, leaving only a bare skull. ¶¶ Then my own insides burst into flame, consuming my entire body, every pore crackling like a bonfire. The light from these flames illuminates who I really am, a glimmering, shimmering cosmic star being. I am literally made of the living dust of that first primal star from the Big Bang. I know myself as the god that is everything everywhere, outside time and beyond the confines of matter playing a cosmic game of spiritual hide-and-seek with other gods. After that acid trip, Salisbury quit his tenured university professorship at Stanford and hit the road as the number one advocate for LSD as a source of instant enlightenment. Minx saw him deliver a speech in a hotel ballroom in Reno. Okay, this is the text of that speech. What if someone, a perfect stranger like me, to offer you a chance to leapfrog thousands of generations of human consciousness simply by taking a wisdom pill. You can awaken not just yourself, but the entire human race from this never-ending nightmare of fear, scarcity, war, alienation, and death.
1: Here's uh, Minks' description of this night from her journal. Latham Salisbury has somehow managed to fuse the hardcore hustle of the Carnish Spieler with the high-flown lingo of a poet
0: laureate. With this wisdom pill, you can stop being that miserable little pity pot of troubled wanting and start being what you really are, the essence of infinite everythingness, from all time, everywhere.
1: He's like a general, filling his troops with courage for the coming battle. The enemy is fear, and the battle is for the future of the human race.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I have that pill. It is the portal to perfect happiness. Take it, and you'll finally
1: find what you've been looking for your whole life. The path home. Here's the answer to my dreams. I know we're destined to be lovers and something more. Partners. Ah, partners.
0: So, what was Minks thinking here? Uh, I think it has something to do with... We have to remember the times. This was 1966. LSD, at this point, is still legal. The pill has turned pharmaceuticals into a billion-dollar industry. And everybody knows, the person who comes up with a pill that produces guaranteed happiness, (laughs) that person Mm -hmm. will become very rich indeed. I think Minks thinks that the person who can do that is Latham Salisbury. With him at her side... Then she can finally tell Howard Hughes to go to hell.:
1: Right. Minx introduces Latham to Herbert Zusman, who immediately grasps the value of LSD as a cosmic aphrodisiac and part of the plan. They immediately dream up a promotional event that becomes a Minx Devlin movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess
3: you can call it a movie. It's something. <laughs> it's on film. Uh, Well, it was a full three years before Woodstock that they have this event that they call the, quote, Bliss Out 66, the world's first interplanetary all-tribal love fest. (laughs) Zuzman films the whole thing. He takes one day to shoot some bookend segments with Minx, and presto, he's got an instant drive-in movie.
4: (laughs) Meet the turned-on, tuned-in chick who puts the Wii in LSD.
1: All right, man some flowers in your hair,
5: because we're having a groovy love-in.
4: Zussman International Pictures presents Having a Groovy Love-In, starring luscious love child Ming Stevlin and 14 of America's super grooviest rock bands, captured live at Bliss Out 66. They're guaranteed to <laughs> blow your mind. We're hits by the Colossal Pomegranate, Owsley's Children, the Marshmallow Steam Shovel, the Munchies, the Flaccid Ashbacks, and the Electric Bananas performing their top ten hit, Pigs Are a Bummer.
2: Hit yourself to the grooviness and feel the turned-on flower power. That's today's most happening trip.
4: We're having a groovy love in. It puts the you in euphoria. Plus, thrilling Zuzman co-hit Freak Out on Hate ashbury Street. So, Zuzman gets his movie. Yes, he does, playing in 871
3: drive-in theaters 26 days after the Rock Festival. But the festival itself, kind of a catastrophe.
0: Ah, well, see, uh, the federal ban on LSD goes into effect October 16th. That's two days before the concert. So, local police crash the concert, they bust 31 hippies, and... They arrest Latham Book Salisbury for a drug possession, conspiracy to sell narcotics, and inciting a riot. Now, these are federal charges. So, Latham calls Minx and asks her to visit him at the Nevada State Prison in Carson City. Now, what you're about to hear is a recording of their conversation that fateful day. This was used at her trial and then released into the public record. It seems that our friend Latham Salisbury was wearing a wire
5: Hey, Glamour Girl, thanks for coming to see me. How are they treating you? Like I'm John Dillinger, the Lindbergh baby killer, and the Rosenbergs rolled into one. But that doesn't matter. All that matters is, well... Let me ask you a question. Do you love me? You know I do. Then tell me you'll go ahead with... the plan. The plan? The I oh, what is that I got to do with it? Everything. Everything. You know oh, it does. Hey, okay. calm down. This is important. Oh, uh, okay, I'll talk to Herbie. No, Glamour Girl. The plan has always been about you. You're the one. Without you, there's nothing. Herb's a small-timer, just wants money. You've got to make it go forward. Say it, Glamour Girl. Say you'll Nathan. go ahead with the plan.
1: okay. Okay. If it makes you happy, I'll, I'll go ahead with the plan. Personally. I, sure, whatever makes you happy. I, I, I still don't see why this there is so... There
4: she is, boys. Put the cuffs on.
1: Hey! Hey, what is Clara this? Clara
4: Devlin, you are hereby placed under arrest. The charges are felony possession of narcotics, felony conspiracy to distribute narcotics, and felony conspiracy to overthrow the government by force and violence by fouling the water supply of the Western United States. Lock her up, boys.
1: The Las Vegas Sun, October 24th, 1966. FBI nabs Red Songbird mastermind in poison water plot. J. Edgar Hoover snares most dangerous woman alive.
0: So, to save himself, Latham Salisbury tells the FBI that Minx Devlin invented the plan, and the plan is to get this. Put LSD into Lake Mead to blow the mind of California, Nevada, and Arizona. Yeah,
1: this is catnip to J. Edgar Hoover, who has been trying for years to throw minks into the slammer. Hoover now gets Congress to invent an entirely new crime. Conspiracy to commit mass psychic mayhem. <laughs> wow.
0: On December 3rd, 1966, Minx goes on trial in Federal District Court, Reno, Nevada, and... Fate conjures a perfect storm of hostile circumstances against her. Three things. First, the trial is held as a wave of anti drug hysteria washes over America. One of G. Edgar Hoover's experts calls LSD, quoting here, a bigger threat to the public than the hydrogen bomb. The second thing is Minx's past does her in. In the trial, the attorney brings up her membership in the Communist Party her 1947 bust for drug possession, and her 1959 attempted murder trial. And the final thing, this is the final nail in the coffin. The prosecution's chief witness is Latham Books Salisbury. Here's his testimony.
5: One night in Winnemucca, as we're tripping on some especially groovy acid, Miss Devlin began rapping. That's a hippie word for talking about this plan she'd come up with. Latham, she said, what if we were to really freak out the squares? What if we were to take a bunch of acid and turn on, like, the entire state of Nevada? Really blow everybody's mind. And then when everybody's tripping out, we, like, take over. We change the name of Nevada to Mind. Get it? State of Mind. And it's all about freedom. Freedom freedom to groove and love and get high and do your own thing in your own time personal property money marriage those are yesterday's hang-ups man i'll be the mad queen and we'll run the whole freaky gig on flower power what a gas and if the pigs try and stop us well today's pigs tomorrow's bacon
1: The jury deliberates for 20 minutes before convicting Minx. So her lawyer files an appeal and the judge sets her bail for a million dollars. That's back then. (laughs) It's a lot today. Which is paid by a lawyer for none other than Howard Hughes. Who reveals to her that yes, he's the money behind Naked World. His bail money has one condition. And what's that? that while she's out on bail, she hosts the all-night movies on the station Hughes has just purchased. I think we've got a commercial that ran on KLAS-TV Channel 8 in Las Vegas. Yes, it's me, Baroness von Freidenstine, reminding you that the nighttime is the right time to be true to your ghoul.
5: And the body baroness is the ghoul who will make you drool. When KLS TV, the great Channel 8, presents Bloody Murder Theater, midnight till dawn creature features Monday through Saturday, co starring Coagulus, the thirsty vampire, and his assistant, Ghastly. And it's all sponsored by a certain, yours truly, Madman Mumford, Nevada's crazy used car king. Truth is, I want to give these cars away, but my wife won't let me. She's
1: crazy. The show had a guaranteed viewership of one. Hughes himself. He was a notorious night owl who loved to watch old movies, and he was very specific about Ming Steflin's costume. (laughs) I believe that. It's a strapless black sheath gown with this plunge-to-the-navel, show-everything neckline, side slit up to the upper thigh, exposing her legs, clad in garter-held black fishnets. Her face was ghost white with this... Crazy black eyeshadow and huge red lips. Her hair was jet black. It had this hideous silver streak that ran down the middle.
0: You know, the funny thing is... Now, here's a show uh, with an audience of one. And it quickly becomes a huge cult item in the, this crazy 24-hour town. <laughs> Among, you know, it's filled with insomniac hipsters pot-smoking teenagers, and gay men just love this show.
1: Yes. Uh, on October 9th, 1969, a panel of judges at the United States Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals rejects her lawyer's request to void the conviction. The lawyer gets the court to continue her bail while he prepares to take the case to the Supreme Court, and the lawyer, Edsel Knox, hands Minks this envelope.
0: So, so this was with her stuff? In her scrapbook. Let's see, um... Uh... Mr. Howard Hughes requests the presence of Miss Clara Devlin for a New Year's Eve party at 2122 Edgewood Avenue, Las Vegas, Nevada. A chauffeur will be provided, 11 p.m. sharp.
1: Something happens at this party. Something big. It had everything to do with the Hughes plan for Nevada, meaning Naked World and something even bigger. Bigger, Wow. Like, like what? Well, why was Hughes buying up half of Nevada, including half of Las Vegas? Why did Hughes give $1 million in heavily laundered cash to Richard Nixon for his presidential campaign? That's why Nixon wanted to bug the Democrats at Watergate. He was afraid that they were going to find out about the Hughes slush fund.
0: So what's your theory about what happened that
1: night? Well, the very last words in my grandmother's diary, actually the last word, is Omega. 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 The last letter of the Greek alphabet. This is some kind of endgame for Hughes and Minx after the shadow boxing that had been going on for 21 years. But don't forget, Hughes could pretty much do anything he wanted. He could buy anyone he wanted. He owned Richard Nixon and he's the guy who could pardon Minx, but he still didn't own her. And I think that drove him crazy. Personally, I, I think that that was the last hail mary you know to win her marry her so the two of them could rule over whatever it was that Hughes was building
0: so we heard the official version the newspaper version of what happened that, that, that last night um, what do you think happened after she left that New
1: Year's Eve party they only have those news reports but they don't tell you anything looking back over her life I can start to imagine a picture I think she was filled with joy as she zoomed across the Nevada desert. Top down, wind in her hair, chugging from a bottle of Don Perignon when a a trucker or maybe some crazy kids, I don't know, a Greyhound bus, swerved into her lane and forced her into that ditch and I'm thinking that this one last twist of fate had her when those glorious flames consumed her because she was going out as she always wanted to. In a
0: The Atomic Bombshell, The Minx Devlin Chronicles, was produced in Hollywood, California by Tales Richly Spun. This episode is directed, produced, and edited by Matthew Solari and written by Arlie Proctor. Co-producer Kevin Whittaker, artwork by Rowan Proctor. Special thanks to Caitlin Mulder, Stephen Smith, Bill Lithgow, Diane Hurley, Tony Russomano, and Will Reinbold. Please visit RichlySpun.com slash Atomic Bombshell to find books and movies that will illuminate the psychedelic 1960s when this episode took place. RichlySpun.com is also where you can pre-order the book that inspired this podcast, The Atomic Bombshell, Minx Devlin's Riotous Tell-All Autobiography. Next week on The Atomic Bombshell, we'll begin our deep dive into her life, beginning at the start of her Hollywood career. We'll visit her fling with Orson Welles, ending with the most famous pot bust in Hollywood history, which didn't destroy her. In fact, it made her the hottest thing in Hollywood. That's episode number two, Rocket to Stardom.